they say something noteworthy. This was published in 1990 or 91 because a lot of the things that I believed early in my Christian life were based on misinterpretations of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And it was very hard to understand what was wrong until I could understand 1st Corinthians. And this is called, well, I changed the title for this republication, Spirituality in the Christian, the Corinthian Air. So when I found out, we just got this out over the weekend, Friday and Saturday, Mine went into my junk folder when it came to me, so you may have gotten the same thing. But CICministry.org, issue 141. Christy made a few of these. Now, why are we talking about spirituality? Is that Mike doing that? No, it was something else. Okay. Could be easily be. When I was a new Christian, here's a book called The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. And I spent many years of my life trying to implement this. And it led to so much sorrow, so much error, and many regrettable things, including volume three, where he claims that if Christians have a passive will, then the demons will take charge of their soul and afflict their soul and body. There's so many things wrong with Watchman Nee, I can't tell you. But when you say that, people are shocked. Watchman Nee wrote and ministered in China in the 1920s and 30s. And these three volumes, the other books called Watchman Nee were written by his followers. Twelve back. Okay. Twelve baskets full, whatever. These books were written by... Oh, it could be the, the, yes. the alarm. These were written because he thought he was going to die, so he wrote about the revelations. These did not come from exegesis, although he does some of that. This supposedly came directly by revelation from God. Watchman's ideas are based on the idea of a tripartite man, human being, body, soul, and spirit. According to Nee's theory, when someone is born of God, their spirit is already perfected. And the reason that there are still problems is that we need to learn to have our... That is the door. I don't know who knows how to turn off the chime. Um, If we can get rid of our passive will and then have the, uh, the spirit somehow through intuition teach us what to do. This will come in the video we're going to show. There's got to be an alarm function because we didn't used to have that do that. Then we can do better. So anyhow, for years, tried to do it. Failed miserably. People were harmed. My family was harmed. I was harmed. And I knew eventually that was wrong, but I couldn't figure out why. Because it seemed so pious and spiritual. Then in 1986, Gordon Fee's commentary on 1 Corinthians was published. And I read that eagerly and absorbed it. And that helped me understand that a lot of the categories that Nee was using came from taking passages in 1 Corinthians and applying them according to his anatomical scheme of sanctification. And this had nothing to do with what Paul was teaching. Whenever you take something that's ironic and take it literally, you get the exact opposite of the author's meaning. And I'm glad Eric's been teaching about the author's meaning is the one that stands. Okay? And the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. The Holy Spirit spoke. It says that in Hebrews. The scriptures are God speaking. God cannot lie. So I'm going to make a claim, and then hopefully we can, as I teach through 
Corinthians and in Sunday school show that this is in fact true. Nothing is more powerful than the Holy Spirit speaking through the scriptures and us understanding it and believing it. And Paul claims that, he, the Hebrews claims that. And so if you're looking for a powerful work of the Spirit, where you need to look at is what has God said? Do I understand it accurately? Do I believe it? And do I believe that God will change my life if I so believe and obey God through the scriptures? And to that end, I think we could really defend that biblically. God has spoken. It says in Hebrews, as the Holy Spirit says, scripture is cited. I think all evangelicals believe in the inspiration of scripture and that the biblical writers wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So to that end, to save enough voice to also preach, I'm going to show a video and this, I don't know what will pop up when you, I think this is just an MP4. This is what's going to work. This was our um, one of our YouTube videos that Jessica and I did recently. Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for this series, and I'm speaking today with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, Watchman Nee is someone that Bob has written about in various articles, but we really don't have one resource that addresses the issues surrounding him and his work. And I've been seeing quite a bit of quotes of, of Watchman Nee on Facebook and Twitter and different places lately, and some of them showing up from people that I would expect to be a little more discerning. So this morning, as I was preparing for this, I just did a little check to see just how popular he still is. His, there's a private, there's two private Facebook groups for Watchman Nee. One has 21,000 members, oh. and the other one has 14,000 members. And his, the Facebook page, um, the main one that claims to be his or somebody associated with him, uh, he passed away. 50 years ago or so now, but the, the Watchman Nee Facebook page has 19,000 followers. Wow. So based on that, I would say his teaching is still around and going strong. So can you just give us a little background as to who Watchman Nee is, and then we'll talk about what some of the issues are. Okay, well, Watchman Nee was a Chinese Christian from the early 20th century. And his original writings that were published over here in America, I started reading them in the 70s. Okay. They were compilations by his students of notes that they took during lectures. And so some of the okay. books out there, he didn't actually write, although one would assume that somehow they reflect what he taught. So some of the books that were popular when I was a young Christian were called The Normal Christian Life, 12 Baskets Full, uh, and so on. And those are two that come to mind right now. But he didn't okay. actually write those books. They were compiled by his students. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so the only books he wrote, and those are the ones the people should study if they really want to understand the theology of Watchman Nee. Mm -hmm. three-volume work called The Spiritual Man, Volume 1, 2, and 3. He actually okay. wrote those because he was a little worried about how long he was going to still be on the face of the earth, and he wanted to get this material. And he actually claimed that he got the material from by revelation from God. And uh, that's why, you know, if he didn't get it written down, it could be lost. Because it isn't something that an ordinary person would ever be able to glean from Scripture. Okay. Okay. So now, just to give you a background of why I'm talking about this, is I really bought into this whole Watchman Nee when I was a brand new Christian in the 70s. And I read his books, and I particularly focused when I found out 
that the spiritual man was what he actually wrote those three volumes i read until they were dog-eared and i, okay. I still got one mm -hmm. here's volume two I, I found that i had to get rid of all my research books that i disagreed with when i moved home and started working from home because i didn't have room for all kind of books on shells but i found this one i started rereading it here today and uh, boy just a little bit of rereading today totally shows me why i was so confused when i was trying to be his follower his stuff was so confusing and so difficult and for five years i tried to just be this quote spiritual man unquote that he was promoting and it was like mission impossible and now it's interesting to me today i just sat down and started rereading volume two 40 some years later after i finally just gave up on it and went to just following the bible uh I started rereading it today and taking some notes. It makes more sense to me now that I'm actually using my cognitive abilities in my mind, which he warned against, because that would make you oh, soulish. No. So I just analyzed it logically and rationally based on scripture alone. And I realized that he has air after air after air and misuse of scripture. Okay, but back then when I was thinking this is from God, I need to follow it. I, I worked and worked and worked and wore out my three original three books going through them. And I never did feel like I achieved this spiritual man status that he was talking about. So then the spiritual man is something that you strive to become, not something God does in you. Well, he'll say, uh, absolutely, God does it in you, but you kind of hold the key because if you keep uh, functioning out of your soul, then you're going to end up getting uh, problems. You'll become soulish. And the soulish man is basically synonymous uh, although not really, but it'd be similar to what Paul talking about the carnal man. Okay. okay. And so he had this scheme that was laid out in these three volumes of what I call anatomical sanctification. And All right. it's based on the idea of the body, soul, and spirit from this one passage. And then he lays out in great detail different faculties of the body, of the soul, and of the spirit, and how these interact with each other, and how they interact with the outer world, and what we must know and learn in order to be the spiritual man. And it's very, very difficult, very, very confusing. Okay, and mm -hmm. I know from experience because I did everything I could to try to be that spiritual man. And I finally decided a better idea is just believe the word of God. All right. So do we even find this idea of figuring out body, mind and soul somewhere in scripture is. Okay. What is I, it? What is he basing that on? Okay, I've got this one verse. I did a bunch of work here today to be ready for doing uh, radio on this. I'm, I'm glad I'm finally doing this after all those years I spent trying to be the spiritual man. It's very gratifying to finally maybe help somebody else not waste their time with this stuff. But okay. here is the one key proof, and then there's another one that kind of goes along with it. It's First Thessalonians 5.23. Uh, okay. This verse is the bedrock verse for Watchman Nee's whole scheme of anatomical sanctification. And I mean by anatomical, the tripartite man and how different parts of that divide up, okay? okay. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 from the New American Standard says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, needless to say, knee was a tripartite uh, guy. He believed that body, soul, and spirit were three distinct 
uh, uh, things that are part of the human being, but that's not universally agreed upon by Bible scholars and theologians. Many believe that uh, when it talks about the human soul and spirit, it's just two ways of describing the same thing. That you right. have the body and then you have the inner person. Okay? And so there's a lot of debate about that. Now, I would say this. Let me just lay this out because from what you're saying, uh, Nee has a lot of followers out there to this day. Mm-hmm. These teachings are wrong even if you did believe in this tripartite idea. There's nothing in this verse that would lead us to all of the things that Nee teaches in that three-volume work. And if you're reading his other books, he didn't write them. Um, I don't think those other books did me any good either, but they're not, they're not what he wrote. They're notes from his students that they compiled. The three-volume, The Spiritual Man, that is knee. That's everything. So you need to know those three if you want to be a student of knee. Now, I wouldn't recommend it because I think you're wasting your time. Uh, because it is a tacit rejection of Scripture alone. Knee very right. much believed in revelations from God beyond Scripture that were absolutely necessary for us to... Uh, prosper and grow as Christians. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And if you believe in Scripture alone, so I would say any Lutheran or Reformed person would have to say, knee is off bounds because he rejects Scripture alone. I have found um, his three-volume work, The Spiritual Man, in a Reformed book list for homeschooling. Unbelievable. Well, it shows you the lack of discernment. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me just so. let's just start with that basic verse, okay? Okay. One Thessalonians five twenty three. Now, Gordon Fee, who um, I believe he's Pentecostal, but Gordon Fee has written some great commentaries on various books of the Bible, including First Corinthians and one here on First Thessalonians. Um, and he makes some good points. Um, he says that what Paul is emphasizing is holy or completely. Notice it says, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. So Paul is emphasizing the entire person being sanctified. And it's not, um, uh, Paul himself isn't saying being able to distinguish what your soul is doing at any given moment versus what your spirit is doing is the key to sanctification. Nee reads that in there, but it's not really in the text. Okay. The, the wish, this is like a benediction or a prayer wish, where Paul is concerned that Christians would be sanctified. The whole person would be sanctified. And now, when I have uh, preached about this and taught about this over the last 40 years since I left the whole Watchman Nee thing behind in 1980, I pointed out that if you look at the whole counsel of God, God deals with us as persons. And if you look at the Old Testament, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about that part of us, the inner part, that would turn to God. Right. Okay? Serve me with your whole heart. When it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, it means the whole person would be devoted to loving God. Right. Well, Nee is saying, and I I got some quotes from that. I don't know if we'll get to it in this session, but we will, that the key is to divide up those parts and see how they interact with each other. I have a hard time even understanding how we would do that. How do I know how my mind is different than my body, which is different than my soul? Well, you might be able to do the mind-body thing a little bit, but when you go from soul to spirit, it gets real dicey. I don't personally even see the difference between soul and spirit. Does does he make some distinction there? There, there? There may not be one, but knee has all kinds of details about how that's supposed to work. He, the spirit, see, speaks to us through intuition, not through reason and rationality. 
Frankly, okay. uh, Jessica, after the series we just finished on yoga, today I sat down and just seriously read the first part of volume two of Watchmanee's book. I thought, man, I think I can see where this Eastern stuff comes in. Because the only way you can read his book and determine whether it's worthy of believing is by rationally uh, contemplating his ideas, looking at the scriptures he's talking about, and trying to uh, see whether the scriptures will actually teach what he is drawing out of the scripture. But it's almost a catch-22, to use a colloquialism or a, uh, something that's just going to be frustrating, because if you analyze it biblically, and you look at 1 Corinthians 5.23 and you say, yeah, it is teaching the difference between the soul and the spirit. And we better know the difference. And the soul is doing one thing and the spirit is doing something else. And this, if we follow the soul, we'll be soulish, i.e. carnal. And if we follow the spirit, something else. All of those are rational thoughts. Right. So even trying to be the spiritual man, you get stuck being rational, and then you end up being soulish. Dear uh, listener, I'm a it's man impossible. who spent five years of the decade of my 20s trying to do that. I, I really tried. I was living in a commune. Jessica, you were a little girl when we were there. So you know yeah, exactly I have what I, fond memories of it, but I was just a kid. You were a kid. You didn't have to try to figure it out. You yeah. just got to play with the other kids and ha have a nice life. But in that group, we were so trying to be pious and to lay aside the world and to not be carnal and uh, to find somehow the most perfection we could on this side of eternity. And I tried and tried and tried to figure this out. But you know what was wrong, Jessica? I always ended up analyzing it rationally. And then it sort of thwarted his point, which you're supposed to follow what he called intuition. So let's talk about that for a second. Intuition can be any number of things. And if we're not using our rational mind or we're not using God's words to kind of filter this intuition, we could be chasing after anything. There were people in our group that were a lot better at intuition than I, I was. But they mm -hmm. ended up um, saying, well, you had to communicate it, even if it's just like the old preachers would say, better felt than telt. Okay. I used to hear that one, but I don't even know what that means. But if somebody yeah. felt something and they said, I, I sense God guiding us, the irony, and I hope some of our listeners can be spared what I went through. The irony was, even when they shared what their intuition was giving them, in our prayer meeting, or whatever kind of meeting we have where decisions are being made, we couldn't help but do anything but analyze it rationally. Right. Should we send a That's missions crew from our group up to Leech Lake, which we had a Camp Zion Harbor, to spend part of the summer there praying for people? I mean, we were making decisions like anybody else would. And... So all the discussion ends up being rational, and frankly, Nee's book is written in rational language. We can read the words and know what they mean, yeah, or at least and, try. Right. And so trying to lay, lay aside the, the potential damage of soulishness, see, according to him, the mind uh, or the soul had mind, will, and emotions. And okay. The, the will was a good thing. And then the emotions were kind of neutral, but the mind could give us problems. And if the mind, according to me, followed the intuition of the spirit, then that was the spiritual man. But if the mind took his cues from data that was coming through the body, um, sense perception or whatever, it was very confusing. Then you, you had our time, well, which of, I don't know which one I'm following. How would you know? Is there any rational way of knowing? Well, a lot of it comes down to motives, and then it gets even harder when you're trying to be a spiritual person, okay? A lot of it 
if, if you're not careful, it can really lead to introspection. Right. And if you do enough introspection, you can convince yourself you have bad motives just about every single time. And so yeah. that introspection can become crippling to people. And I remember thinking, well, if I do this, then I'm just promoting myself and I'm probably soulish. And um, I think I'm probably selfish and that's why I want to do this or that. And trying to die to self just made self seem all the more real. Yeah, I, I, you know, there was a struggle going on. Now, you wouldn't have noticed that because most of the time I just laid that aside and went out and fixed cars. That made more sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or, you know, so I, I, I was always attracted to people that were more engineer types like I was. Right. And so I ran the garden and made sure we had food. I fixed the cars. I counseled people. And I actually did preaching and stuff. But even in my preaching, I was just preaching the Bible because I didn't really know how to do anything else. Which was actually good. Well, let me tell you the irony. I did. Uh, this, I'm sort of sh sharing my story here in this first part of this. Here's the irony in the whole thing. Two of my favorite books during those years were Escape from Reason by Francis Schaeffer. Okay. And The Spiritual Man by Watsman Nee. Hmm. Now That's today, an interesting combination. Yeah, well, back then we used to talk about the double-minded man. I think that's what it made me. Today, yeah. when I was rereading Nee, I can understand it now. I couldn't back then because I could see he's teaching false doctrine. Right. Back then, I assumed he was true, and then I couldn't figure out why I couldn't put it all together. Now that I look at it and believe that he's a false teacher, not that he didn't know the real gospel, but he took that as a starting point. Then you have to figure out all the rest in order to be need, a good enough Christian? You need to learn how to be the spiritual man. Okay. So he talked about deficient Christians constantly. Okay. So today when I was rereading some of that, I thought, you know what's lacking from me that I wouldn't even have thought about back in the 70s? Once for all. That's what's lacking. Okay. Right. And the once for all needs to be emphasized. And so Neve was saying, and I'll document this in some of our future episodes, but he okay. was saying that the voice of God comes through the intuition, which comes from our spirit joined to the Holy Spirit. He, he took a lot of verses out of context. He'd say, for right. example, he was joined to the Lord as one spirit. So then you say, okay, there's where your your unity is. There's where your reality is. You're joined to the Lord. You're one spirit. Now you got to go to your human spirit, which is joined to the Holy Spirit, and gain intuition so that your soul follows that. And once that becomes your daily reality, you'll be a spiritual man. But... So how does he explain then how the church went a couple thousand years without having that revealed to us in scripture and somehow we survived? Well, the same way a lot of groups do. They they don't take scripture alone seriously. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, that's not unique to me. Frankly, Roman Catholicism, Reformed, Lutheran, a lot of people take their own traditions as like the be-all and end-all. Right. I'm kind of on a mission to get the church to go back to Scripture alone and the priesthood of every believer. Amen. We can have our traditions, but they got to be judged in light of Scripture. Okay? Right. What I didn't do, okay, I was attracted to Schaefer because he, had, in a sense, had an alternative to me, which was that it was bad to escape from reason. Right. And so I had so I had those two conflicting ideas and I didn't know what to do. And I really was never I've never ever been a good mystic. I'm I'm pathetic at being a mystic. <laughs> Engineers usually don't make good mystics. Yeah. So I just always go into the engineering and I thought, ah, they they had all these things going on and we had daily weekly fasts and constant prayer meetings and trying to hear the word of the Lord in our spirits. 
And eventually I'd say, well, you know, there's broken cars. I got so nobody's fixing them. I go out in the garage and I fix a car. Ah, now I can do something. I can yeah. use my mind. Um, now, later, this all started making sense. Uh, and in God's providence, that experience of trying to be a mystic and failing. Now, some people say, see, you, you just gave up because you're no good at it. And, I really, you know, that's fine. They can say what they want about me because my experience isn't normative. The scripture is normative. Right. I'm just telling you why this is important to me and why I'm spending my life teaching scripture alone since the early 80s. Okay. Yep. Scripture is the inspired, inerrant word of God. God spoke rational, meaningful words in human languages that are meaningful to God and to the hearer. And so when Moses went up on Sinai and in the finger of God wrote in Hebrew, thou shalt not steal, what that meant when God wrote it and what God that meant when Moses read it and what that meant when Moses preached it are all the same thing. Right. And we use our rational mind to know if I take my my neighbors, now the command not to covet touches on this. Don't cover your your neighbors, manservant, maidservant, you know, so on, wife and whatever. And, mm -hmm. and because that will lead to stealing. Don't steal. Well, a lot of even the mystics say, Oh yeah, yeah, we agree we shouldn't steal. But how did you do that without your rational mind? Did you need your spirit to intuit not to steal? Or did God right. say it? Now, Jessica, the second point on this is this. All right, so we can see the Ten Commandments or whatever. But listen, doesn't the Bible claim that it gives us all things necessary for life and godliness? Yes. And as non-Catholics, we don't believe the Pope speaks for God. We don't believe the cardinals in the College of Cardinals or the teaching magisterium or all of this or traditions of Rome are binding on anybody because they, they're not really apostles. They don't really speak for God. We believe in Scripture alone. So if we believe in Scripture alone and we believe that in the sufficiency of Scripture and we believe in the priesthood of every believer, then why wouldn't be, we be like Bereans searching the scriptures to be these things, to see if these things are true? Right. Well, if we did, we wouldn't find watchmen these teachings. No. And we can't, let's actually, let's stop there for a second. You've, you've talked in d different series about kind of the three categories of knowledge, and I think that's relevant to this, and it will help us to get those in our mind right now. So the three categories being general revelation, yeah. um, the secret special thing. revelation. Yeah, let me talk about that in a couple different ways. Uh, I've been teaching at Sunday school. I just did this last Sunday. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The right. secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to us and to our children. And so the things revealed are what's revealed in Scripture. Right. And from there, we find true binding and loosing. What's binding and what is the law of God with the law of Christ under the new covenant? And then the secret things are the occult, which we're not to inquire into as forbidden knowledge. And then general right. revelation is what uh, is implied all the way back into even in Genesis 3 after the fall. By the sweat of his brow, Adam was going to have to till the land. He's going to have to use reason to figure out the difference between a thistle and a tomato. Right. I say tomato because it's August and everybody's got tomatoes here. Um, yeah. And so the, 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 that's categories. So we use our rational mind to survive on the earth. You know, we just yeah. finished a series with a lady who got delivered out of kundalini yoga. And they're, tr they're trying to teach people how to turn off their rational mind in order to come right. in contact with this oneness of the universe. But that, like this intuition idea from the spirit realm that Ni nee had, it's really self-defeating because all those same people 
however much time they spend on their kundalini mat, when they get up, they got to go out and figure out how to be fed. Right. They got to go get in your car and know how to start it and remember line. which way is right and which way is left. Yeah, how to drive down the road or, I mean, whatever you do. So what Shaver was saying that was right, that helped me eventually, that's what helped me get away from thee and back to scripture alone was God intends for us to use reason. And being right. rational is not going to make us quote unquote soulish. It's not going to make us carnal and displeasing to God. Being rational is not going to keep us from being quote, the spiritual man unquote, to cite the title of Nee's book. And that was liberating to me. In, in, in 1980, that group we were in kind of fell apart and everyone was scattered to go find a way to, to make a living and buy a house and get back into society from that commune we were in. And mm -hmm. I just, I ended up with no choice. And I thank God for this and his providence was to run the scripture and the Greek that I'd learned in Bible college and go back to scripture alone and just teach that because there I found all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right. And that, and that's really, everything really does stand or fall on Sola Scriptura. That's the one thing we can be sure of. That's how we can know what God has said, what he has done, and what he expects from us. And we, anytime we go outside of that into feelings or intuitions or trying to, you know, find something in our spirit, we've gone into the realm of the unknown that can't be judged rationally. And it's always, it's always, um, it's always harmful to us. Right. So maybe to summarize that, we really just talked about that one passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. We're stop there. This is a prayer that we, the whole person would be sanctified. Whatever components, when we want to debate components, God wants us sanctified. Okay, and that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. And I'll give you some more next time. I'll give you some more uh, exegesis on that. But even if there is a difference between soul and spirit, and that's debated. Okay. If you take the term heart, it's a bigger term, and it covers everything on the inner person. I don't believe that we have the rational capability of looking inside self and saying, aha, soul here, spirit over there. That's beyond How would us. we, I'll I wouldn't show that. even know how to begin to determine that. Well, you can, and I'll show something now. The next time we, in our next session, another verse is in, important to me, and he brings it up continually, is this one in Hebrews, let me introduce that, where he says, uh, well, I've got so many pages here. Hebrews 4, 12, I believe it is. The, 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 the word of God is like a sword that will divide, divide asunder. Okay. The, the, the bone and the marrow and then the soul and the spirit. So he's using that to prove, well, we can do that. We can divide between the soul and the spirit based on Hebrews 4, 12. Okay. And, if you take that in context, that's, it's actually describing what's impossible. Right. And so what the author of Hebrews is describing to be impossible, need teaches is to be necessary for sanctification. Okay. Well, we are, that is a lot. And I have to admit, it confuses me. So we, I'm glad we have more sessions on this because there'll be a lot of questions, but we are almost out of time for today. Do you have anything you want to add before we close? Well, don't be confused, saints. It's, uh, it confused me too. Paul's actual meaning is very simple. He's praying that God would sanctify us. And we know that that's the will of God, our sanctification. And That's right. Ultimately, we have a resurrected body, okay, and the whole person will be perfected in glory. And what we are as persons is what God intended and God made us. And the means of sanctification are means of grace, and they're made in such a way 
that you don't have to be some special mystic to be sanctified. God actually sanctifies ordinary Christians. Amen. And you know, he gives us the desire for those things that he uses to sanctify us too. No new believer has to be told that they need fellowship or that they need to pray or that they need God's word. We love the things that he uses to sanctify us. Amen. All right. All right, there we go. After that, I learned to keep my mic, but my shirt, keep the mic right here. Go ahead, Brian. Hold on here. Right, right from the beginning, Jessica was uh, showing like how many people watch the knee head on YouTube, 26,000, some thousands over here, over here. And that didn't sound like very many to me. But I think the problem is, is that even though he doesn't have a lot of uh, followers on his ideas on YouTube, those I ideas are pervasive in all kinds of churches within Christendom. So even though people haven't actually heard the words or the name Watchman Nee, uh, his ideas uh, live on. Let me uh, say something about that. I'm preaching too, so I'll have to make sure I have some voice and get up there and do it. Uh, I, you maybe can't see this, but I published an article. This now is available on the website. Christy made some. This article is, was written either in 1990 or 91. And at the time, this article on carnal spirituality, the Corinthian air, was we just managed to get republished. It was before critical issues commentary issue one was 30 years ago in April, which was on binding and loosing. This was before that, and it's available. There's some here, and we can have more made. It's a miracle, by the way, that we were able to recover this. I didn't have the, the file, but anyhow. Here's something I want to emphasize. This isn't just the only version of this. American Christianity, and certainly many other versions, is to its very core pietist. And what pietism, how I define it, and I think it fits, is something that we need to prove that we're better Christians than others. And the one thing we do not want to be is ordinary. Ordinary is really bad. Super spiritual is really good. And, but there's different ways to be pious. And that's what divides the church. And it goes all the way back to the Middle Ages. So you had, in Roman Catholicism, you had O's of poverty, Oh, um, and priests that couldn't be married and you have pious through great big cathedrals or pious through being in a dungeon or the desert fathers and so there's different ways to try to be pious and then as you go through church history this keeps coming back in different forms now it becomes very pagan when it gets attached to nature so in America today pagan nature, neo-pagan nature religions are very popular, and that was the article I wrote about the emergent church or the book. In other words, God, panentheism says God is in everything, and if we get in touch with the God of the universe that's in the universe, not the transcendent God who created the universe out of nothing, then we get with the process of moral and spiritual evolution. So there's versions of this. One thing I found out recently, and uh, I asked uh, one of our members who used to go to campus church, my br brother used to go there, they had watched with knee throughout that church, and they were re outreaching intellectuals on campus. And I, I knew I saw those there because I'd visited one time, and here's these books at campus church that had also 
come from Bethany Fellowship. The group I was in came from Bethany Fellowship, which was a community of people. And I'm not saying that whatever's going I don't know what's taught or believed in Bethany Fellowship now, and I'm not wishing to speak out of turn, but I know where things came from. Charles Finney's theology was the basis of, of, the, of the group that I was in, and I didn't even know it. So he had Charles Finney, the American lawyer, who created his own theology called moral government that denied um, the fall and that people are able to have a revival without any special work of God. So how do you have a juxtaposition? Charles Finney, American lawyer, can-do attitude, articulate, handsome, create his own thing right out of nothing, moral government, and Watchman Nee, a very humble Chinese Christian, and uh, I, I'm not doubting anyone's motives. Absolutely not doubting that Nee believed what he was saying and that I read it wanting to be pious. Here's the root of it. Perfectionism. Another thing that's happened since then is I was contacted when I was last year at seminary. Don Vino, who's written a book about a neogram that I endorsed, I met him there, and they had a testimony from an 18-year-old who'd grown up under Bill Gothard. And Gothard influence, now I just found this out this last week, was Charles Finney and Wesleyan perfectionism. And the group I was in, we were required to go to Gothard seminar, have basic youth conflicts, I think it was. And I remember something from that just the other day. He said, better to aim for, jump to the top of a telephone pole than to just not get off the ground. That's perfectionism. Here's what happens to perfectionist groups. It's based on what never will happen this side of the resurrection. It doesn't happen, and it creates worse things. Fallout, hopelessness, despair, people giving up, and interviewing some people that were, it's just sad what's happened to a lot of people. It's better to trust God and realize that we do need grace and we do need the resurrection. We can't be perfected in this side of glory. Yes, Norm. Uh, the word uh, pious or piety has been somewhat confusing to me. Uh, I mean, I know, as you've given many examples of, you know, the monks going out in the desert and doing things to try to be pious, and uh, I see that that's totally wrong. I also see authors that are writing about somebody, particularly individuals, and even in this church history thing, they talk about, well, these certain people, uh, there were certain people that were, that were pious in this movement, and I think all they're saying in that regard sometimes is just these people were serious about their Christian life, they were serious about mm -hmm. sanctification, but they use pious in that way, and I don't think there's anything wrong with what they're saying in that context. Thank you, Norm. That's a, that's a good uh, point to bring up. The term comes originally from the word uh, Eusebian, I think it is. Uh, Ron over there. Eusebian means godly. Eusebian, uh, if I've got the right, right, uh, is that the right word? What's the word for godliness? You, Eusebian. No, Godliness is the word that we would translate piety. And godliness is good. And, and denying godliness means that we can just live like the world. And that's fine. That's not right. But in church history, there was a Lutheran, a break off from Lutheranism called pietism, where they were more mystical. And then one branch of that became Jane Lead, New Apostolic Reformation, and there are other versions of it. And to make it simple, here, simple. God is the one who makes people godly. That's what that word means. And he does so by grace through faith. 
not through some process that's going to lead to hopelessness and failure and frustration. And the simplicity of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And uh, go ahead, Ron. I hear people talk about the Puritans. Is there a connection here to the Puritans and what they did, what they wrote, compared to the Pietists? Um, that's part part of American history. There's some I don't. There's versions of Pietism. If we are saying God does the work by grace alone, that's good, and His means of grace which is part of Puritan theology, is good. But uh, the thing that I, we have a video about on CICministry.org or on our YouTube was this idea that if we, in other words, the oath that the Puritans took, saying if we land here safely, then they made a covenant with God. Only God had no representative to agree to the covenant. And so... And I literally, I said, that's tempting God. Let's say I'm agreeing that I'm going to do something. And here's the stipulations of this covenant we're making with God. And since there's no Moses or no, you know, incarnate prophet who speaks infallibly for God, if I get there and don't die, then God agreed to his part of the covenant. Now, it's almost considered really bad to even say that, but you can read that in history. And so I just asked the question, can I unilaterally obligate God to a covenant if there's no one to agree to it? The covenants in the Bible are either between two people or between God and a person or God unilaterally making one, but can we start and then demand that God does something? That's, I don't think that's radical. Yes, uh, Peter, you asked Just, about me. That's part of the reason I did this. A couple quick questions. Um, I can't even hardly read the, from here the uh, Oh, I, I know. This was out of this thing so, that I published. I can so, give you one. So just a quick point. I, I assume the upper one's the biblical version, and yeah. the other one is the man-made version. Yeah, I'll, I'll read that to you quickly. Salvation by faith, and then... Um, the upper one is, and this is not in the article because I couldn't do the graphics again, numerous experiences, interventions, blessings. In other words, God is working through his revealed means and through providence to take every one of us to glory. Assuming we don't apostatize, renounce God, and go back to the world. God will keep us. And that does not close out anything. The bottom one, thank you for asking so you're saved by faith, which you come to Christ. Then in that new state, the box says unspiritual, carnal, unenlightened. Jesus is Savior only. Now you need a second blessing. Now there's so many different second blessings. Which one is the correct one? Some people believe in entire sanctification. You have an experience, and once you've had it, now you're perfected. Others use the baptism in the Holy Spirit as a second blessing, which is what I believed when I was uh, first saved because it was Pentecostals that led me to the Lord. And uh, there's reasons why people believe that, but I believe every Christian who's born of the Spirit is also filled with the Spirit, and God will use everyone who trusts in Him. Or maybe you have a special revelation. The one that really got to me here in volume three was the idea of demons inhabiting Christians. And that's the one that I was involved with to my shame because the article that has caused more people to find the Critical Issues website is issue 78 where I explained the idea of using exorcism as a means of sanctification for Christians. Watchman Nee said that there's laws in the spiritual universe and one of which is passivity of the soul. In other words, if you 
are, if your spirit is perfectly sanctified, then you're holy. So you got to somehow get over that. Or total surrender. That's the bottom line there. I don't know. Total surrender, we hear about it in evangelicalism. I'm not sure. Go ahead, Peter. I'm sorry. So, yeah, just a couple quick things. So the upper one is the biblical. That's one. how I see it. Okay. That's Christian upper. walk, progressive. Meaning not continual progress, but we get where we're going. Right. And the lower one's more subjective. Secondary man. experience, whatever it may be. Okay. Okay. And I don't know of any secondary experience that ever delivered what it promised to deliver. But the, the top one is the word-based right. road. Thank you, Peter. Yes. Okay. So then uh, a couple quick things just to double back to Watchman Nee, because I did inquire about that and ran across that recently. Um, when you said once for all, um, in the case of Watchman Nee, that's the beginning point. And then he goes off into his kind of subjective road of interpreting uh, how to get saved or his, sel- his form, okay. form of salvation. It's a little more complicated, but I got two minutes and then I got to get up and get ready to preach. But. Once for all means Christ paid the price once for all. Right. The faith has once for all been given to the saints. Okay. In Nee's theology, he took the same word in Corinthians, sukikos, um, and translated either solicol for the unsaved person's soul or soulish for the Christian who's now not following intuition. And this is comes out in First Corinthians and misuse of it. The fact is, we're not t- perfected, but our sins are forgiven. The scriptures are given. We're God's. He's not going to let us go. We do believe the, the word. We do pray for one another. We do grow in grace. And the finish is the resurrection. Okay? There's so much more about this. Now, we just published issue 141 on, uh, by thankfully some people are very good and recovered this article that I had lost. One more and I got to get going here. So even Paul was lamenting, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? So he apparently never reached that level that Watchman Nee is talking about. And the bottom line is that we're sinners in need of uh, in need of a savior and once we're saved we're still sinners in need of that savior so we may be getting sanctified but we haven't reached the point till we're glorified but what you just said is very much disputed especially by finney and uh, um, some people say that when paul wrote in Romans 7, he's talking about his pre-Christian experience. And I, when I started seeing that that wasn't going to work as far as dividing persons into soul and spirit, I got a lot of pushback and all people left the group we were in because they'd been trained under Finney's perfectionism. And that if anything's wrong, it's always your fault you didn't do it right. Go ahead. And biblically, uh, as Norm was saying, uh, piety toward the Lord, uh, fearing the Lord, having reverence for him yeah. is a good thing. Uh, what's wrong and where the term gets distorted is identifying a false piety uh, where it's human manufactured means and ways of achieving a goal of piety that they define, humanly speaking, how they want instead of according to scripture. Yeah, one thing we've done out, there's two more of these YouTube videos. I hope I got my shirt buttoned up so my mic quit going up and down. Um, In the end, we're not claiming we're perfected, but we believe the promises of God. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus. And we don't begin by believing in Christ and then get perfected by trying to figure out what our intuition is telling us or adopting Charles Finney's moral government theory, which is a theory, but it's not taught in the Bible. And one thing is keep in mind, most, in fact, every single perfectionist version 
discounts the significance of the fall. If you believe that human beings are fallen and alienated from God, that even nature is fallen, why would you not believe that when you have the tornadoes and everything? And that we need to recreate or God to judge and then bring the new heaven and the new earth. Then you have these idealistic, I call it romantic idealism. And it never works out. I'm going to close in prayer and trust others to get this straightened out here. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to learn and to search the scriptures. Do pray for the service upstairs that we would honor you and bring the gospel to bear so people know how they can find forgiveness of sins and eternal hope. And as we are searching the scriptures together, help us learn and grow and always go back to what you've said. And we thank you for the fellowship we have in you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.